0: There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone here. It's uh, with a service change time, I can actually say good morning now. Sometimes I have to look up and is it morning? Is it afternoon? Uh, what is it exactly? Uh, welcome to SLE Church, especially if you're here for the first time. Um, my name is Ben, I'm the senior pastor of the church, along with Steve, who's actually on leave at the moment, but he can't stay away, so Steve and Steph are here, uh, but technically they're on leave, so I don't bombard him with too many hard questions, just medium hard questions is enough, uh, but they'll be away for a couple weeks, uh, and then they'll be back. So I can pray for them uh, to have a rest, it's been a busy six months uh, of this year, uh, and so a, a good time of uh, well-deserved rest will be, will be great for them to have, so please do pray for that. Uh, it's great that the kids are at school, so hopefully you can... Um, enjoy time at home. Um, over the last few weeks of church, things have been pretty um, um, uh, constantly changing. I'm not sure if you realize, but four weeks ago, we had our last church at home group and church at Ryan's Road combo. And then we had a week off where we were free to do our own thing. And then last week, we had a trial run with the service teams. And then today, we have our first of our relaunch of church, uh, where we're back all together again for the first time in a long time, right? First time in forever. Um, according to Frozen. Um, And it's great. And I I so much wish that these mass restrictions had ended on Friday because I wanted to really see everyone's beautiful faces. Uh, But hopefully that will happen next Sunday and we really feel like we are kind of back to the way it was. Uh, Please keep praying to God that in the coming weeks and months and perhaps even years uh, that we'll be able to keep meeting in this way uh, given the situation around we are wanting to stay safe, but we are, we are given the provision for a full gathering, uh, so let's make the most of it, uh, and let's keep praying that God will keep allowing us to do that. Now, we're continuing on our sermon series, or we are finishing on our sermon series uh, in this block where we're looking through our church's mission, values, and vision. Um, and if you are a newcomer here today, I, I think it would be a great opportunity to find out what our church is on about, uh, but it would really help also to go back and listen to the previous sermons or watch the previous sermons that are on our church website uh, on our mission and values um, as I mentioned a few weeks back, this is not usually what we normally do. We usually preach through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, and we'll be returning to that next week in the book of Ezekiel. But for today, uh, we'll be looking at this. Uh, you'll notice that the Bible reading today is exactly the same as last week's, and I'm actually not going to preach on that passage, but it's a great passage to be reminded of as to what is our church meant to be on about. Uh, but there will be other passages that I'll be working through. They'll actually all be a rehash of stuff that we've been covered over the last five weeks, and that will be for about half of the sermon explaining what our vision is. And the second half of the sermon is kind of like a church report card, right? Um, I won't be giving us gradings of A, B, C, or F. Um, I'll be more giving more of the comments, right? Uh, some observations about how we're going, which you may or may not agree with. Uh, and then also some suggestions for how we could keep improving and, and strive towards the vision that we want for our church to be. Uh, please um, join with me now as I pray. Uh, as we think about our church's vision. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have not left us in the dark to work out what life is about um, and what church is about, but that you have graciously shown it to us through your word. Uh, what is your mission and what are the values uh, that we ought to have and what is it that we ought to pursue? And so I pray, Father, that you help us as we uh, think about our vision as we think about how it expresses what your word says, as we assess how we are going at the moment, as we consider uh, how we want to, to get better and become more and more the kind of church you want us to be, we pray for your spirit to be powerfully at work uh, in us now and in the coming days. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. What is a vision? That's a good place to start. Uh, a vision, uh, in a way, is a, a picture of our ideal future. In, in the simplest terms, I think that's what it is, is a picture of our ideal future, right? What do we want to become? Right? What do we want to become? Now, we could be very close to the vision of what we want to become, or we could be very far from what we want to become. And so in a sense, a vision both gives us a goal to aim for, as well as gives us a measure right, to, uh, in a way, compare ourselves to, to assess ourselves. And I think that's very important because church going can often be a very passive activity, can't it? Like church going can be very passive. Uh, you know, it's something that you just turn up to every Sunday or maybe every other Sunday or maybe once a year. Uh, it can be very consumeristic. You just turn up to get what you want from church, right? Maybe it's some spiritual feeding. Maybe it's to engage in some religious activity. Or maybe it's to enjoy certain relationships and friendships. But church ought not to be like that, not to be passive. Church ought to be purposeful, right? Church ought to be purposeful because we are saved for a purpose. We are saved individually as children of God, but we are saved corporately to be the church. We are given a mission from God. We are called to become, to live out, to pursue something, right? A common something. Church gatherings ought to be purposeful. And so right at the beginning of the sermon, as you think about vision, I want to ask you, in your, in your thoughts about church and church life, is it passive or purposeful for you? Right, when you think about church, do you think of it very passively, just turning up and receiving, or do you think of it purposefully as something to achieve, something to become? If someone were to ask you, like, why do you go to church, what would you answer? Or perhaps even more pointedly, if they ask you, what do you hope for your church to become? Now, that's a harder question, isn't it? What would you say? Do you have any hopes for what your church will become? Now, over the past few years in particular, the church leaders of SLE Church, along with the members of the church, have have come up with a vision for SLE Church, uh, what we hope for SLE Church to become. And if you look at the vision uh, in a moment, it expresses the mission that we looked at five weeks ago that's given to all believers, uh, the great commission of Matthew 28 to make disciples. So it expresses that. It also expresses the core values that we've looked at over the past four weeks, which are core values that come out of scriptures uh, themselves, core values of gospel-centered, expository preaching, prayerfulness, discipleship, and unity. And so we see that expressed in our vision. Uh, I'll read out the vision in a moment, and we'll work through phrase by phrase, right, what the vision of our church is. And then, like I said, we'll make an assessment as to how we're going, and then finally, we'll talk about how we could improve in each of these areas. However, if you're not a Christian here today, or if you're just a, a visitor for the first time, firstly, a, a really warm welcome to you. If you're not a believer, or if you're first time visiting our church, a really warm welcome to you. And, and as you hear about the vision of our church in this sermon, I hope that you'll learn about what our church is on about But more than that, I hope uh, that you'll want to join us in this journey, right? I hope that you'll want to join us in this journey, that you might want to keep coming back to church and that you might uh, want to be kind of caught up in what we are doing. Ultimately, my greatest hope is that if you're not yet a Christian, as you hear this sermon, you will want to pursue Christ and become a disciple of Jesus. And if you are a Christian, that you want to stick with us in order to mature as a Christian along with the rest of us. All right, let's get into it, right? SLE Church, what is our vision? All right, so it's on your sheet, it's on your outline if you have it, otherwise it's on the screen, right? SLE Church, we seek to be a prayerful, Christ-centered community that proclaims the gospel to unbelievers and grows disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, we spent a long time writing out this very simple sentence, and the order and the wording is all very important, okay? Let me work through it. Starting off in our vision statement is the fact that we hope to be, we seek to be a prayerful church, right? Our vision begins with a clear expression of our dependence on God, right? We don't want to be a church that is built on human wisdom and and, and human intellect or human power or human strength, right? We want to be, and indeed we have to be, a church that is dependent on God, Wholly dependent on God. And there's no better way to express our dependence on God than through our prayerfulness, than by asking and seeking for God to do His thing in us and in our church. Remember, a few weeks back, as we preached on the sermon on prayerfulness, we saw what the uh, Lord Jesus taught His disciples to pray like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil from evil now this prayer reflects the fact that we pray because god alone is the source of all that we need right god is the source of all that we need god is the creator he is the owner and he is the sustainer of this world What we need is for God to be treated as God, for God to be honored, for God to be worshiped, for God to work his purposes out in this world, for his kingdom to be established and to be brought in full. Because, as we heard a few weeks back, as God does this, as as he is glorified, as his purposes are worked out, as his kingdom comes and is established, we receive uh, the fulfillment, the meaning of life that we most need. Right, we're given um, the, the, the meaning and the, the goodness of life that can only come about when God is in the rightful place as the ruler of the world, where His ways are being lived out by, by, by the world and by His people. That's where we tap into the true meaning and significance and joy and goodness of life. And so the beginning of praying is a dependence for God to give us the greatest need that we have, which is His glory... Which results in our good. But not only that, we're taught to pray for our daily spiritual and physical needs. Right? We pray to God uh, for uh, food and drink, as well as uh, for the spiritual needs of forgiveness and protection. In other parts of scriptures, we're taught to, to, to pray to God to give us wisdom and spiritual insight into His Word. We are are, are asked to pray, we are told to pray for the growth of our own spiritual health and, and life as well as for the church to be able to grow. We have to pray. All together we see that we pray because God is the source of all that we need. From the greatest need, which is the glory of God and the coming of His kingdom, to our daily physical and spiritual needs, all of it, anything and everything that we need in this life for ourselves and for our church comes from God, and so we have to be prayerfully dependent as a church. Right? Prayerfully dependent. Now, the next thing we see is that we need to be a Christ-centered church. Now, in many sermons over the past few months, uh, and hopefully over the past few years, And hopefully over the entire life of our church, you would have heard uh, how Christ is at the center of God's plans, how he is the summation of all of God's eternal purposes played out in human history, how Christ is the center of all living beings, and Christ has to be at the center of our church and all of our lives. A few years ago, we preached on a series, probably the most important series I've preached in this church, it's called Union with Christ. I think that is really the the foundation of what it means to be a Christian is to understand how everything is united in Christ and outside of Christ, we have nothing of God and of good that we most need. So go back and listen to that sermon if you can. But in more recent times, right, just a few months ago in the series on Revelation, we see this same truth, right, being very clearly shown to us. Uh, The vision of Revelation shows us that at the center of all of reality is Jesus Christ, if you can remember back, Revelation 1, go home and read it uh, this afternoon. Uh, we see in the vision of Revelation 1, Christ Jesus put forward as the eternal God, right? The, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. We see Jesus Christ shown to us as the almighty King who rules right, over all eternity, all creation. And we see him as the end time judge who will call all people into account. At the end of Revelation 1, we see Jesus standing in the midst of the seven lampstands, which are the church, and he holds the church in his hands. All of God's people is in Jesus' control. And then when we go to Revelation 4 and 5, we see another vision, this time of this throne room, which is a picture to given us a picture of the control center right, of all of eternity and all of human history. And right at the center of this throne room is the lamb, Jesus, the one who was slain, At the end of this vision, we hear the declaration of praise by all creatures in heaven and earth saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Right? Could it couldn't be any clearer how everything is Christ-centered. Now, the amazing thing is what we hear about the, the relation to this Christ who's at the center gloriously, and, and the church and the relationship, right? Have a look, at, listen to Ephesians 1, right? Uh, and he, God the Father, put all things under his, which is Christ who is the Son, his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. You hear that, right? This Christ, who is utterly central, supremely glorious, is given to whom? To the church, to us as our head, that we can be His body, united with Christ. That is amazing, isn't it? It's a a glorious calling. We, the church, have a glorious calling, and an unimaginably amazing privilege. Sometimes, uh, or not sometimes, over the past few days, I've been trying to think about what does it actually mean? What's the full impact of this? And I couldn't really conceive of it. To be joined together to this Christ who's at the central of eternity and head of all power, he's given to us the church to be his body, to be our head. Christ has to be at the center. This has to be clear for us to see as we look around at our church, as we look around at the people in our church, at the fellowship groups of our church, it has to be clear when other people come in, outsiders, they visit, they, they, they look in into our church, and it has to be clear to them to see that Christ is at the center of our church, the center of our teaching, the center of our speaking, the center of our relating to each other, at the center of the way that we live, the decisions that we make. That Christ is at the center of our character, that we exhibit Christ-likeness, love and and peacefulness and and graciousness and humility and self-control, all those wonderful Christ-like qualities, it needs to be obvious that Christ is at the center of our character, that that Christ is the center of our purpose, that we, we are people who boldly proclaim and confess Christ as not only the king and ruler and savior of our lives, of our church, but of all people in the world. Christ isn't just our Lord and our center. Christ ought to be the Lord and center of everyone's life. We have to be a church that professes that boldly and lovingly. And so we want to be a prayerful, God-dependent, Christ-centered church. But the next word we see in our vision actually is the word community, isn't it? We're calling ourselves a community. The word community actually can't be found in the Bible. Oh, this is so annoying, let me just fix this. There's a problem when you're at OCD, everything has to be exactly in place, otherwise um, it's too distracting. Let me just fix up something here. Where's the clip? Uh-huh. there's a clip here by the way, and it has to be right in the middle of my loop, otherwise um, the humming feels off, just to give you insight into me, okay? Uh, all right, I can breathe now. Okay. Uh, We want to be a prayerful, Christ-centered community. The word community doesn't actually appear in the Bible. If you go to any uh, Bible software and you put the word community in there, nothing turns up, right? In a way, we could have just said in our vision that we seek to be a prayerful, Christ-centered church. Now, the word community flows out from the idea of church. So let me explain why church, firstly, is crucial. We are saved to be a church, to be the body of Christ. There is no such thing as a purely personal faith. Right? Christianity is not a personal faith religion. Right? There is a personal component because it is about a personal uh, confession and a personal belief. But we are saved to belong to the body of Christ. Right? We are saved to be part of the church. Right? So our vision speaks about us being part of a community. Now the reason why we chose the word community is because it's a very familiar word that many of us understand. Right? Community is a very common thing, uh, and I'm not sure if you know, but the word community is kind of a smashing together of two words, it's a compound word. Common unity. That's what community is, right? Common unity. And we, are, we all get that, right? There are million types of communities in our world, bound together by some common element that makes them united. So for instance, you might have the Singapore Club or the Singapore Society of Queensland. Some of you, who belongs to the Singapore Club of Queensland? Okay, my parents belong to it, that's why I chose it. Right, you go to Facebook, they're members there. And in the Singapore Club, they're bound together, right? The common thing that unites them is their national heritage as well as culture. And of course, food. Right? We Singaporeans doesn't get around food. Right. And then you got maybe you know the QUT Kelvin Grove academic community. And once again it makes sense, right? It's the people who go to QUT who are into academia, Kelvin Grove, and their community is bound together by a common pursuit. Uh, I belong uh, in in part to a uh, River Life netball community. My kids play netball there. They have been for the last five, six years. I coach. uh, My daughter's umpire. We hang out. We do things around the netball activity, right? So communities. Now, all communities are inclusive of those who share the common ground that defines them. Uh, And people who belong to these communities, uh, they have to possess certain traits and they have to meet certain criteria to belong. Right, there are acceptable behaviors and attitudes that you ought to have to belong to these certain communities. But beyond that, well, you are free to be whoever you want to be, right? Uh, you, you can be and act however you want, as long as it doesn't impact the common elements that need to be there. Now, the core of our community, what is common to us here as early church, has to be Christ and Christ alone. Right? What is common in our community is Christ and Christ alone. Now, let's be honest, right? There are other things that are also common that we share. Right? We share a common location. All of us live in Brisbane. At least if you're a regular to SLD church, you probably live in Brisbane. Um, most of us live either in the west side or in the south side. We also share the commonality that most of us come from an Asian-Chinese background. But these are and should just be incidental commonalities, right? They happen to be common, uh, to us because of our location because of our history just because of the way things are but they must never become the common trait or Criteria that determines inclusion or exclusion We can observe common things that are incidental, but they must never be the thing that that determines inclusion or exclusion Now on the flip side, there are many things that we don't have in common all right, especially in the first service, but across the entire church, they are all different ages, right? from newborn to the 80s. We have different interests and personalities. We come from different countries. We have different views about government and politics, about education and health and social welfare and so on. But all these differences, they're okay because they are not what is found fundamental and foundational to our common unity. Differences in these areas should not and must not destroy the unity that we share in Christ. In fact, it is our unity in Christ which will end up informing and shaping and perhaps even changing these differences that we possess. The most important thing is that we hold Christ as what is common to us in our common unity. And it is this common unity in Christ that we share and that we live out. Jesus tells us that as we share this unity, as we love one another around Christ, the world will know that we are followers, we are disciples of Jesus Christ. This is how we will show that Christ truly is our head. Fourthly, we are, the, we are a church or a community that proclaims the gospel, right? That proclaims the gospel. Now, the reason we have chosen to word it as proclaim the gospel rather than proclaim the Bible or proclaim the Word of God, is actually for clarity and for sharpness. Okay, that's what revision is. It gives us clarity and sharpness. So we're not we're saying gospel rather than Bible or the Word of God, not because we don't believe in the Bible or the Word of God, but because the Bible, in a way, is a very generic term. Right, Bible just means this. Actually, technically, Bible, which is the Greek word biblos, just means book. It's a very generic word, book. All right, this is the book, capital T if you want. Uh, The Word of God also is quite general, right? It's the, the message that God wants to communicate to us, right? What He wants to say. But the word gospel is more clear in that it tells us the point and the purpose of this book. It gives us the point and the purpose of what is God wanting to say to us, what is the Word of God. The point is that God has centered all of His purposes and plans in the gospel of Jesus Christ. His purpose is that all might come to believe in Jesus and to live for Jesus, to live for the gospel, to live out the gospel life and to preach, proclaim and preach the gospel. And that is why we've worded as we are people who proclaim the gospel. Jesus himself describes his mission in this way, right? In Mark chapter 1, right at the beginning of his ministry, Mark tells us, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And saying, and this is Jesus' words, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. If you read on from the gospels into the book of Acts, the start of the church, the apostles saw their mission and ministry as about preaching the gospel. right? They went from town to town, city to city, from the Jews to begin with, and then to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. And uh, the kingdom of God is advanced, isn't it? As we see uh, through Acts and the epistles, by the preaching and the teaching uh, and the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's how the kingdom grows. That's how the church is built up. Now, I won't say much more about this idea of proclaiming the gospel. If you can, please go back four weeks. Uh, We preached a sermon on why is it that our value is gospel-centered, expository preaching. Why it is that we value the word of God and in doing so, we must preach and proclaim the gospel. As the central interpretive key and the biggest application point. Finally, in the section, about what is our vision, discipleship. Who do we proclaim the gospel to? Our vision makes it clear that we proclaim the gospel both to unbelievers as well as to believers. We proclaim the gospel to unbelievers to bring about faith and repentance. We proclaim the gospel to believers to grow faith and repentance. Right, the same tool, the same Word of God, understood as the Gospel, is what helps people to become Christians and to grow as Christians. The Apostle Paul tells us this, right when he, went, when he wanted to visit Rome and he couldn't, he wrote them a letter. And why did he want to write a letter to them, the Grand Book of Romans? where well, he tells us. Because he's under obligation, because he, he has this desperate need, requirement to uh, both Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. He says, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Why? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first, and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written The righteous shall live by faith. And so we have Paul writing a letter to a church of believers in Rome, right, the Roman church, to preach the gospel. Because of the power of salvation, both to save people from unbelief to belief, from from lost to saved, as well as to grow them from faith to faith, to, 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 to attain to the full righteousness of God. Now, if that all sounds very technical... I found something really helpful from a guy called Tony Payne. He's an author and a a, a pastor and a preacher. He writes great books that I really, really like. And he calls this process of discipleship uh, uh, something very simple, right? It's called moving people uh, to the right. And this diagram that I've modified a little bit expresses that, okay? So uh, moving to the right is not a political right. It's just the right of this diagram, okay? Um, Because we are left to right readers, right? If you're a right to left reader, then you can move to the left and whatever, okay? But moving to the right here... It's about moving people from unbelief to belief as the people come to know and believe in Jesus and then to move people from belief to maturity. It's to move people who are living in the kingdom of darkness as they live for themselves and for the world and for others to living in the kingdom of the sun where they worship Jesus. And that growing person there is a growing maturity which will finally be attained in perfection when Jesus returns, right? It's a really helpful diagram I feel about what discipleship is on about. Right? The vision of discipleship in our church is to see people, all of us, in that process of being move, of, of moving ourselves to the right, and then on turning to the left and helping other people to come along to move to the right along with us. This discipleship happens through prayerful, God dependent people proclaiming, preaching, teaching and sharing the word of God with each other. So that is our vision. And that is the half time. This is an explanation of the, the, what we are on about. The second half of the sermon, and this is exactly the halfway point, 1,980 words. Uh, 1,980 more words to go Right to, to talk about how are we going and how we can do better. All right, But I need a 10 second break because I'm still not quite satisfied with my positioning here. So how about everyone stand up and move around a little bit while I sort myself out.
0: You did Yeah,
1: Everyone happy to come back? Thanks to Steve for having me sort the problem out. That's why he get paid the big bucks. All right, church, how are we going? All right, how are we going? Uh, rather than going through all five uh, categories, I've uh, put a few together. We're doing, we'll look at it in four categories. The first is to do with our God dependence. And obviously, this is about our prayerfulness. Right? How are we going in our prayerfulness? Now, as a pastor of this church, I get to, I guess, have a big, a bird's eye view of of what's gone on, and I've been here for 12 years now, at least as a pastor. I'm not sure if you guys know, I've been part of this church since 1990, uh, when I was a 12-year-old little kid, Uh, and over the years, I guess we've seen ups and downs all over the place. But instead of prayerfulness, over the last few years, I've been really encouraged that it's become a greater priority in the life of our church. Uh, When I first started coming along to, I as a pastor. I'm a person who enjoys praying to God quietly in my own head. Uh, when I drive, when I go for runs, uh, when I wake up and sleep, I, I, I tend to talk to God a lot. But I find it difficult sometimes to talk to God with people or in public. And I think that was reflected in the early years of my pastoring of the church. And I didn't really push forward for a lot of uh, uh, community prayerfulness. But over the few, last few years, I think we've really changed that. Uh, we've had a few people who really promoted uh, and we've had more prayer meetings as a church and in fellowship groups. And I see people praying together after services and after different events. I see people sharing prayer points, right, personally, and in fellowship group, WhatsApp group chats and things like that. It's been a real joy to see a growing prayerfulness. But uh, I think we could be better. Right? I think that if you were to look at our church's calendar, and if you were to ask your leaders of your ministries, if they show you the, the calendar of each ministry... I still don't really see that it's really baked in as a core element of our fellowship group life or our church's life. That's something for us to work on, I, I feel, to, to actually build that in as a formal, not, not, not to formalize it just to go through the motion, but to really be devoted to praying together. I heard that the Salt team's are having first prayer meeting this coming Friday, and someone just said to me, first time ever. So good stuff, right? I'm not sure if that's the first time ever, but for the Salt team, maybe they've only been around six months, it's the first time ever. So anyway. Second thing I want to say about prayerfulness that we can grow in is, I think there's a difference between saying our prayers and expressing our dependence. Now, I don't really want to always be assessing things that I hear, but I'm a person who does do that. And sometimes when I hear myself pray or hear other people pray, we're quite functional in our prayer. We say our prayers as like a religious activity. And sometimes I wonder if there's a heart behind those prayers whether we're actually expressing dependence when we ask for things from God or whether we're just kind of wording and, and parroting well-known phrases right, that we've heard. So I think we need to express dependence when we're praying. Now as we express dependence and we really yearn for God to give us what we most need, I think we will do what Paul always tells us to do. He always says, pray without ceasing, always with, can you finish it? Always with what? Say it out loud. Thankfulness. Right? Thankfulness. Why? Because you can't help, if you're always asking and depending on God for things, you can't help but remember that God has already given us so much. Right? He is hallowing His name. He is bringing His kingdom up. He has given us His Son, the gospel. And in day-to-day lives, we are being spiritually and physically met with our needs. And so we can't help but be more thankful if we are actually depending on God for all that we need. And once again, I wonder whether in our prayers of thankfulness, whether we are really thankful or whether we are thankful in the sense that we say grace before a meal, right? rub dub dub thanks for the grub, right? And we eat. And no one probably says that. It's not Aussie thing. But, you know, I wonder whether we just kind of go through the motions of saying grace or whether we truly are thankful. The next thing about prayer that we can grow on, I think, is that I still sense and see and witness quite a bit of fear and anxiety in our church community. Now, there are a lot of things in life that are all over the place, right? That's difficult. COVID and its various impacts certainly have stirred up quite a bit of uh, fear and anxiety. And not only that, we have uh, ongoing fears and anxieties about our relationships, maybe our parenting, our marriage, uh, maybe about our parents, uh, about our marital status. Maybe we struggle with singleness or whatever it is. There are lots of relational anxieties, doesn't there? And then there's also health anxieties, uh, finance anxieties, information technology anxieties, and so many fears and anxieties that's in our community that I sense and I see. Now, I want to say that a prayerful church that is truly dependent on God has humble confidence that God really is in control. It doesn't mean that we we can expect that God will fix all of our fears and all of the reasons why we might fear and be anxious. But we must, I think, grow in our prayerful dependence and humble confidence that God really is in control and that the fears and the anxieties of our community and of each of us individually can be dialed down. Wouldn't it be great to see a people who are at peace as we live out our faith as a church? The second big point here is to do with Christ-centeredness, right? Is Christ at the center of our community? How are we going with this? Now, on one level, we can talk about Christ-centeredness in our teaching, and I think that that is something that's probably a strength of our church. Certainly, Steve and myself and the staff, we focus a lot as to whether our preaching and teaching reflects the centrality of Christ uh, as the Bible presents. And I know over the last few years, we've aligned a lot of our fellowship groups, in fact, all of our fellowship groups, to make sure that the material that is used in Bible studies are actually Christ-centered. Now, Years back, maybe not so much, but alignment, I think, has been good right, in recent years. So teaching-wise, I think we're quite, we're quite okay with that, and we've got to keep make sure we maintain that. But what about Christ-centeredness in the actual worship of our lives? What about Christ centeredness in the way we actually live as individuals, as fellowship groups, and as an entire church? Is Christ actually central in our lives? Are we a church that is living out a conviction and a commitment to Christ as our Savior and King, whom we truly love and trust and obey and serve? Right? Are we a church that has the character of Christ reflected in our relationships? Right? Do we serve Christ and his kingdom first? Now, these questions are much harder for us to answer, aren't they? And there's certainly a variation of answers in individuals. But as a church, how are we going? Now, certainly as a pastor, I get to hear and see many things. And I've gotten to speak to a lot of you and many leaders. And praise God, right? There is so much to praise and thank God for, for evidences that Christ really is at the center, at least, well, not perfectly, but at least definitely and in a growing way in many of our lives and in many of our fellowship groups and as a church. I'm sure many of you can look around the room right now and see the evidence of Christ-centeredness in the lives of many people who are around you right now in this room. So there are many reasons to give thanks to God for that Christ-centeredness is being lived out. But as we examine ourselves and our fellowship groups, and the church as a whole, we know that this is an area where we definitely need to keep growing. Because full maturity in Christ will not happen till heaven. For now, we're all a work in progress. So we must be sober in recognizing that there is still a lack. There is still a shortfall in our faith and obedience, our love and devotion and service to Christ. I think we still struggle in some ways, in many ways, to show Christ-like love and grace. Um... In, in patience and humility and even righteousness, right, in our treatment of each other. I think we still struggle at times to, to seek the kingdom of God and Christ's glory first. Right, we know that we struggle because we seek, you know, our own kingdoms uh, a lot of the time in our lives. We, we seek to feed our own passions, right, to make decisions out of a worldly desire for security and success, right, and for uh, personal comfort and convenience, I'm sure all of us can identify aspects of our lives where Christ is not at the center. Now, how can we do better? I think in our relationships and in our conversations, I would love for us to be more Christ-centered in the things that we talk about. Now, I'm not sure if you know this, but over the last three, four years, we do the discussion questions at the end of the sermon for a reason, right? Because for 40 minutes or so, you're just hearing what the preacher says, but it's really important that you have a chance for yourself to articulate what you really think about what you've just heard. Right? So uh, we are, we're trying to help you to do that. But even then, some people struggle, isn't it, to, to talk about the, the Bible and, and Christian things. And then when you are let free right, to morning tea and to lunch, I think a lot of us struggle to talk about Christ right, over meals and over our, our social gatherings. We'll talk about sport. We'll talk about work. We'll talk about friendships. We'll talk about the weather, but we find it hard to talk about Christ and Christian things. I'd love for us to be able to do that more. i love to see a growing and obvious Christian characteristics in our relationships. Greater expressions of love and grace, of patience and forgiveness, of peace, lovingness, and humility in our attitude and speech towards one another. I see it happening when people are together, but sometimes when I hear people talk about other people who are not in the room, sometimes there is a bit of a difference, isn't there, in the amount of love and grace we show towards each other. Finally, I'd also love to see us be bolder at spurring each other on, right, in our Christ-centeredness. Like being a bit bolder, right, at, 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 at maybe informally, casually having chats and sharing about Christ-centeredness. But, uh, but even more so, um, sometimes saying stronger, more deliberate words to teach, to challenge, and to maybe even rebuke someone who is clearly not living in a Christ-centered way. Now, obviously, you need to form a relationship, a form a connection with people before you can speak strongly into their lives. But many of us have strong connections, and yet we are too afraid sometimes to speak to someone to help them become more Christ-centered. Now, obviously, it's a two-way thing as well, isn't it? If you're going to be strong and be able to speak to someone else about their christ centeredness I hope that we'll be a community that will be happy to receive words of instruction and correction and rebuke. Right? The people who are willing to both give boldly and to receive humbly the words of change. The third point here is to do with community, right? Because we do all this in community. Now, it's definitely been hard, isn't it, over the last 18 months for our community? But once again, I think in the challenges of community life in the past 18 months, I have been so encouraged and my heart has been so filled and warmed uh, by the community expressions of our church. Uh, I'm sure you've heard before the stats, but you know we've had about 300 plus people uh, regularly attending church pre-COVID. Uh, about 50 people had to leave pretty much straight away because they're international students. But out of the remaining 300 plus people, I think we had about 280 people on average attending either church at home groups or Church at Ryan's Road. That was about 85%, 90% attendance. People continued to go to fellowship groups even though it was on sucky Zoom, right? How bad is Zoom? But people still turned up. Yes, people weren't always that engaged at Zoom. You could tell, right? They were probably looking at some other work on the rest of the screen. Zoom is that little minimized box where the person's speaking, come on y'all, just admit it, right? And then you've got your Word document, you've got your webpage, and then maybe you've got a game going on the phone, okay? Everyone laughs because you know it's true. But at least you turned up. At least you turned up. Give yourself a pat on the back. And people are still meeting up for one-on-ones, all right, and praying and reading the Bible together. Many great things to be encouraged and praise God for. But at the same time, uh, we are looking for the lost sheep, isn't it? It's not the 99 necessary that we want to worry about. That's great. 99 going well is that 1, that 2, that 10%, 15%, who are, still, uh, very, who are maybe dropped off altogether or are, are drifting away and very irregular in attendance. We have an opportunity now right, to express our regathering. Today is a great start, isn't it? Not just in terms of regathering as Church, but maybe today is a great start to think about where do you stand in terms of community, in terms of your commitment to church and church life. We have an opportunity as we regather to think about how lethargic or lazy we might have become, or maybe how much we've been ruled by anxieties and fears or perhaps even more so by convenience and comfort. Today might be a good day to change all that. But it's not just about being physically together that makes us community, is it? It's about that commitment, that common unity in Christ. It's not just about physically gathering. It's about being in partnership as Christians, as a church, in the work of the gospel, striving side by side for the cause of the gospel, helping each other to grow in Christ's likeness and in service to Christ. Because that is what ultimately will bind us together. Not by just turning up physically, but by actually being partners in the gospel. If we do this, I think, by making sure that we do not allow for secondary matters to define us, to dilute our focus, or worse still, to divide us. By being clear what is not primary gospel, Christ centeredness, but what is secondary, and not allowing those things to define us, to dilute our focus, or were still to divide us. <clears throat> you see, when, when in our diversity, and we have a lot of diversity, in our diversity of age and, and race and personality and many other factors, in our diversity, if we had to express and grow in a deep-rooted and unbreakable unity in Christ, wouldn't that be an amazing thing? Right? It's not insaneness that when, when, when unity is easy that we show that we're committed to the unity. It's when in our diversity, we show unity in Christ And then the world will know that we're disciples of Jesus. I think we can grow in this area, can't we? We can definitely grow in the area of showing our unity in diversity. Now, historically, we have struggled, I think, to express unity in a few areas. One is in in our generational boundaries. I think we've struggled to show unity across the different age groups, I think there is still an observa- observ- observable and obvious failure of people across age groups to really kind of get to know each other and, and, and serve each other and even more so to be partnership with the gospel with one another. There are very tight gospel partnerships within demographics, but not across. We feel like, you know, whether it's young to old or old to young, I think, I think across the board, I think there is a, there's a weakness in this area. We're happy to go about our ministry lives, our own demographic way, but we don't have much concern and thought about how others are going and maybe to form partnerships. I think we can do better here. I think we've also struggled to break down barriers of race and culture, race and culture. Look, we are a predominantly Chinese church and it has been since it started. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing inherently wrong. This is our history. This is just the way things are. We've been predominantly Chinese for 40 over years. But the issue is that we are not a church that is united by the commonality of being Chinese. Christ is our commonality. Being Chinese is an incidental commonality. But because we've been so used to being monocultural, for some of us, we face a great challenge, isn't it? To be able to reach out to people who are not like us in race and culture. Now in this area, I think we have grown, especially over the past two years. Uh, We used to have 1% non-Chinese. right? Two, Two or three people, right? 1%. But now it's a lot more than that. I think we've tripled or quadrupled that percentage point. (laughs) I think there's probably about 10 or 12 now, maybe even more than that, right? That's great, right? I think it does speak to the fact that that people do feel welcome. I've asked some of the non-Chinese about this issue and they're like, oh, I haven't really noticed. And that's great that they think that. But I also know those who are not here with us have mentioned to us, have mentioned to me that that has been a barrier at times. We have to be extra mindful. We can't be what we are not. We are predominantly Chinese, that's the way we are, but we have to be extra mindful then to make sure that that doesn't create a barrier and a boundary for others. The final area I want to see that we can work on is relating to people who are different from us in personality and in the possession of secondary beliefs that don't really matter. Now certainly our differences will result in disagreements, right? Uh, Look, can we just say that we're different? Every single one of us is unique. Right? I know some people have to say that person is more unique than everyone else. That's nonsense. There's no such thing as being more unique as a person. We are completely unique in and of ourselves. We're all different in many ways. We must not be afraid right, of conflict. Can I say that again? Right? We must not be afraid of conflict. Right? Because whenever there are differences, differences means they don't match. It's a conflict. Right? By definition, humans have to be in conflict because we are different. The issue is how we deal with that. How does our Christ-centered community deal with the fact that we are different? Now, if we are truly Christ-centered, the Christ-centeredness will help understand where the differences are and whether they should be an issue to us or not. But more importantly, I think, it should shape our attitudes and behaviors in the way we relate to each other in our differences that even if we can't resolve the issues that are not of primary importance, what we will always uphold is Christ-centered love and grace and humility and patience and forgiveness and and forbearance and all those Christ-like qualities that once again will show the world that we're truly believers and disciples of Jesus Christ. Community. Finally, Let's talk about discipleship quite quickly. The proclamation of the gospel to unbelievers and the growing of believers into maturity. That's what discipleship is, right? Uh, I'm I'm going to do this again. Can we flash that that picture up just one more time? The moving to the right. How are we going as a church in our discipleship? I think we are strong in growing disciples into maturity, and we are not so strong in reaching out to unbelievers to bring them to faith. I think when it comes to evangelism, I have to say that I'm personally very encouraged and slightly, somewhat, okay, quite a bit rebuked by quite a few individuals who are very evangelistic. Right? I, I do know a few of you who are really just have a passion for the lost. I know at least one particular group, I think women's group, I call them out, they're really good at thinking about how to keep reaching out right, to the people around them who are not believers uh, in their lives. But beyond a few Notable individuals and one or two particular fellowship groups. I think it's generally an area of weakness in our church. How can we do better? I think we most critically have to think as a church leadership about how we actually are seeking to reach out right, to the community around us. And for many of us, it's a community around us in our workplace and in our schools. But also perhaps our community here at SLE, uh, and where we live, in the west side and in the south side. I think we need to come up with a, not just a conviction. We have to start with a conviction that evangelism is what God is on about. And then after that, from conviction, we have to make plans. Because you know the saying goes, right? If you p- fail to plan, you plan to fail. Yeah, okay, one of those sayings. But it's true, isn't it? We have to make sure we plan for evangelism in our church and in our fellowship group life. Maybe we should ask women's group how they do it and then they can be the model, right, for the rest of the church. They do it really well. Secondly, we must keep pressing on in our maturing and training culture. I do think it's an area of strength, but we could definitely improve on it. I know that in some ministries, particularly the ones that Steve and I are directly involved with, there is often a very clear ongoing training plan. But I think in other groups, they kind of tend to miss out a little bit. At the beginning of the year, we did try to put on a leaders' retreat, both in January and in April. But in the ongoing months and years, we have to make sure that those needs are being met. People are being supported right, in being able to disciple others. In this area of discipleship, though, rather than just being about a top-down approach where the leaders and the fellowship group leaders plan things, I think ultimately my vision for discipleship is to see every single one of us being committed to being on that movement to the right. Right, number one, that I myself see that I'm progressing to the right myself. And then, I want for all of us to have one person that we want to see go from unbelief to belief in our lives. To be reaching out to at least one person. To be meeting out with someone regularly for that purpose. And then to have one more, which is to see someone on my left to move from belief to maturity. Three things. Myself, moving to the right, looking to the left for someone to bring from unbelief to belief, and then one other person to see them go from belief to ongoing maturity. And this will fulfill the mission that is given to us by God, to make and grow disciples, doing it prayerfully dependent on God, with Christ at the center of our teaching and our lives of worship in community for the glory of God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we do not have to come up with our own vision of how we think church ought to be. We thank you that your word guides us as you reveal your purposes and plans for the world, as you reveal so clearly through the gospel of your son uh, what your plans and purposes are, We thank you for such clarity that shapes, that ought to shape our community. We thank you for the opportunity today to to reflect on the vision statement that the leaders and members of SLE Church has made. We pray that all of us here would now spend the time to think about whether this reflects your truths, to think about our convictions and commitment to this vision, and to think about how we are going at the moment and how we could improve. We pray that uh, we would be uh, devoted to this vision because we see that it will produce uh, the best kind of community that will, that will bring about people who truly will become more like Christ, more aligned to Christ's mission. They will see that this will bring us joy and the goodness that we so need and desire. But ultimately how in, in, in pursuing this vision, we will honor you and bring you glory. So please help us to do this knowing that we're dependent on you for all things in Christ. Amen.